We start in Luke chapter 1, Mary's song, when she first finds out she will bear the Son of God. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. When Jesus explains his mission, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. On the Sermon on the Plains, he says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Then he says, Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. And then as he's answering John's doubts about whether he's the Messiah or not, He says, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. In the parable of the sower and the seed, he warns, the seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. As he challenges us to surrender our lives, Jesus says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? In the parable of the rich fool, he says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he closes it this way. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. To the Pharisees who love to only hang out with people like them, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and blind, and you will be blessed. To the rich young ruler who loved his things, You like one thing, Jesus said, sell everything you have and give the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And then to a tax collector who responded differently. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, pay close attention to what I'm about to say, because you might mess up here. If none of these passages challenge you, if you don't find this a little bit disconcerting, then you can sit right now. Well... It appears 100% of us are challenged. So sit down and be guilty together. (laughs) All right? What a set of passages. And and guys, Luke, the gospel writer here, is obsessed with people pouring water on top of plugs. So if I'm electrocuted, you'll know what happens in just a second. He's actually obsessed with wealth and riches. And so my question here is, as you go through the Gospel of Luke, why is there so much money talk? There's no Gospel, Matthew, Mark, or John, that talks about money like Luke. So why does he talk about it so much? Because let's be honest, 
we don't like the preacher to talk about it. We say, I, I want to bring my friend to church, buddy, but you're not talking about money today, are you? I, I'm uncomfortable with it myself. Let me just tell you a little bit about me and money. I just don't think about it. Stephanie's always handled our finances pretty much. She does everything. I don't think I'm a big spender, but I don't really pay attention to it. For instance, this week, you know, our checking account was getting really tight. And, um, you know, we were not wanting to have to transfer money from savings into checking. So she says to me, do not use your debit card. Use cash. What does Buddy do? It was just $7, but it put us over. You see, I, I don't think about it enough. Luke thought about it a lot because Jesus talked about it a lot. See, Luke is a careful historian. The gospel of Luke is written from a perspective, not of a Jew, but of a Gentile who's looked back at the life of Jesus and carefully researched it and knows everything he says. So why does he talk about money so much? Let me give you three reasons. Luke knows the danger of wealth. He's heard the words of Jesus, it is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. That's a silly, crazy illustration that appears to be impossible. Now, Jesus has to throw into that, but what's impossible with men is possible with God. But Jesus says there are certain temptations that rich people face that nobody else faces. He used to have a friend in Pensacola. We'd argue all the time because he had bought into the, what I call the health and wealth gospel. If you follow Jesus, then everything in your life's going to go well. And he absolutely believed that every Christian, if they were faithful, would be wealthy. And I would always point to that passion and say, why would Jesus want people to be wealthy if he believed it might be the biggest temptation in their life? That it would make it harder for them to get into heaven. So first of all, Jesus, uh, Luke knows the danger of wealth. Number two, Luke knows the struggles of the poor. Now, this is where I think it's important to understand that Luke is a doctor. And most people who are doctors go into that because they have a heart for people. They want to help people. And Luke has encountered the incredibly high infant mortality rate of the first century. He's dealt with people who have all kinds of diseases because of malnutrition, he knows of people who will not live very long life because they've got a lack of their basic needs. And so he's got a heart for the hurting. That's the way doctors are. When I worked for the uh, Gateway Church in Pensacola, for years that church had been led by three really dynamic men. One of them was like my best friend, T.C. Barnes. I mean, he just 80 years old, dynamic. On the other end of the spectrum, there was a, a doctor named Julian Olson. And in between was this guy named Lewis Ross who just tried to keep peace between these two guys because it was pretty crazy. I remember eating lunch with T.C. one day, and, and we, were just, we, we ate lunch every Tuesday. And, and he looked across the table at me, and he said, it sounded crazy to me. He said, buddy, he said, I will give you some advice, young man. Don't ever appoint a doctor to be an elder. That's who he fought with. And I go, why not? I tell, he said, because they care too much. <laughs> and this, this was his point. They can't make a decision. See, Luke, was, uh, TC was one of those bold kind of guys, man. Let's pray about it. Let's make a decision. Who cares what anybody thinks? Let's go forward. And Julian was the doctor that said, hey, man, let's think about how this is going to affect people. And so a doctor is someone who has a heart. And so Luke knows about this. He cares about these struggles. 
And then this is one reason I think Luke writes this, is number three, Luke knows the potential for division. Now, you've got to understand this. The Gospel of Luke is written 60 years after Jesus died. And, and the followers of Jesus have become more diverse. When Jesus is on this earth, guys, almost all of his followers were poor. But 60 years later, the church is now made of rich and poor, slave and free. It's crazy. And because of the income inequality, there's great reason for division. There was very little middle class. It reminds you of what's going on in the world today. We, we know that in our world today, the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. Since 1980, half of the income increase in the world has not gone to the top 1%. It's gone to the top point. Oh, 1%, half of it. And so the rich are getting richer, even in our country. The middle class is shrinking. And that leads to a lot of division. And in the church here, they're dealing with that kind of division. How do we have slave and free, rich and poor in the same church and get along? You know, we had this reveal study of Landmark this past spring, and it did reveal to us that we have more money than we thought we did. But if you read the fine print you'd also find we have very much income disparity in this church, okay? There, there's a lot of, we do have people who have a good bit of money. Most of us probably would qualify to be rich, honestly, in the world standards. But we have quite a few poor people too, thank God. And so Luke is writing to us, and he wants to make sure we don't mess up with money. Because he sees two things that can happen with money. We're, we're studying today, if you want to open your Bible, to Luke chapter 16. He sees that, that, that money can keep you from playing big, okay? And he also sees that money could allow you to play big. And so in Luke 16, Luke again has paired two stories. The story we're going to look at in just a moment is the story of the rich man in Lazarus that says, beware of wealth and money because it might mess you up in every way. But the other story is a really crazy parable, the parable of the shrewd steward. And he's not a godly man. He's just a man who knows how to make money. And he almost really, truly, he makes it in a little bit of an unethical way. But here's the crazy thing. God commended him. And then he said to us who are followers of Jesus in verse 9, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you'll be welcome in eternal dwellings. He says for some people, if they can make a lot of money and if they will be as shrewd as worldly people about that, they will have income to advance the kingdom of God. Though I think it is wrong to say we want everybody to be rich, I can name them if you give me a chance. There's a lot of people in this church that I pray get rich because I know what they will do if God blesses them with that income. I've seen it before. So you've got these two contrasting stories. So Luke wants to pull it all together, and he tells a rather jarring story that I invite you to walk with me through this morning. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. Quite a contrast. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate, those three words are the key to understanding this, this story. 
at his gate, at his doorstep, laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Man, what a contrast between the rich man and the poor man Lazarus. The rich man is dressed in purple linen. It's very expensive to dye things in that day. Only rich people had purple clothes. Lazarus is not clothed in beautiful linen. He is clothed in awful sores. The rich man ate fine food. Some translations say he ate sumptuously. I mean, he's just dining and eating all the time. There's not an issue for him. The poor man, Lazarus, could only hope to eat the crumbs. You ever been to McDonald's where you saw a homeless person come in and search the tables for stuff people left? Or outside, they might be searching the dumpster for leftover french fries or a little bit of a burger. That's this man. He just sits at his door hoping to gather a few crumbs. Now, here is the problem with the rich man. He doesn't notice the poor guy at his doorstep. That's the big issue. This, this story is not trying to make a lot of points, my friend. We'll, I'll give you the two points it's going to make in just a moment. This guy, the, the problem with him is not that he's rich. The problem is he doesn't notice the poor. And in contrast, Lazarus is only noticed by the dogs. In fact, in an act of compassion, the only thing that gives him relief is for the dogs to lick his sores. I don't know if you've, you've researched this, but, but dogs' tongues are actually very clean. And historically, we know from doctors, they actually have healing power. Again, we're talking about dogs, not about cats. <laughs> dogs go to heaven, cats go to hell. We all know that, all right? So God bless you poor cat lovers, okay? So we see this contrast. And then, guys, we're going to see a total flip of the script. Everything looked this way on earth. It's going to look completely different in eternity. Go with me to verse 22. Then the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called him. Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus. He still looks at Lazarus as a servant. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this life. Man, right now this guy who's eaten high on the hog now just wished for one drop of water. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. He didn't earn it, didn't say. He just received it. And Lazarus received bad things. Didn't earn bad things, just happened. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm has been set in place. So that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Continue to watch the contrast in heaven. The rich man is in torment. Lazarus is in heaven. Everything's changed in a split second. What is the point?
point. There's, there's two points to this story. And here's your exclamation point on your outline. There is danger in riches, and there is hope for the poor. The rich man is not evil because he's rich. He's evil because he has been so obsessed with his riches that he has forgotten God and forgotten his neighbor. The rich man has violated the two greatest commandments. That's why he's in trouble. The poor man is not blessed because he's just poor. He's blessed because he has been humble enough to follow after God. And you see, here's the the deal here. This is why this teaching was so shocking. The assumed belief in the first century, especially among religious people, was if you were poor, it's because you deserve to be poor. If you were rich, it was because you were blessed by God. So you could immediately sort of tell who's following God or not. If you're wealthy and doing well, then obviously God has decided to bless you. We have a lot of preachers today who preach a health and wealth gospel that's extremely dangerous. And, and we also have a bit that sometimes we fall in this category. If somebody's poor, they must be lazy. Somebody's homeless, what did they do wrong? We, we, we make some of the same assumptions today that they made. And Luke wants the stigma against the poor to go away. And so Luke says, here's his, here's his point. If you're poor and you stay poor the rest of your life, if you follow Jesus Christ, one day you will live forever in amazing riches. And if you happen to be rich right now, that's okay. But if you don't follow Jesus Christ, one day you will live in torment. It's quite a story. Here's Luke's dream. Luke's dream is that the church is the place, and we are the people, that these distinctions don't matter anymore. And and so the church got something really radical happen in the first century. Historically, it had never happened with any other organization. You You look at organizations in our land today outside the church. They are built on people who are the same getting together. And so we're able to isolate ourselves into people of the same race or people of the same economic background. And here's what Luke wants. He says, guys, God has given us the opportunity to display the grace of God like it's never been displayed in history before because the church is going to be the place where rich and poor and slaves and free and men and women come together. It was crazy then, and I would remind you, it's just as crazy today. We live in a day of amazing division, politically, economically, and we found out over the last few years, race relations aren't what we thought they were. And this, Luke believes, is an opportunity for us to be that shining city on a hill, Now, the most evident place for that to happen in the first century and today is at the Lord's Supper table. You see, in the first century, to eat with someone meant you accepted them. It meant you were on the same level. And so when the church came together around the table, 
It said we're all equal. None of the worldly stuff matters. We're all at the same table. Let's finish our story. Luke chapter 16, verse 27. The rich man in torment says, Then I beg you, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. My friends, the rich man is not a bad man. He cares about his brothers and their eternal salvation. He knows his fate is doomed, but he wants somebody to warn them. But God's wise enough to know if they don't listen to his word, they're not even, this may be prophetic, could even listen to a man that raises from the dead. Some of us say, I would really be shook up, man, if, if I saw a miracle, if I saw something crying. I, I love to see miracles. But my friends, if, if you're waiting on a miracle to surrender your life to Jesus and you're not willing to listen to his written word, guys, we don't just have Moses and the prophets. We got Jesus. It's not going to happen. So what's going on here? It's too late. It's too late. And the question this story leaves us with is, will we listen before it's too late? Well, we listen to what Luke said. It's as uncomfortable as we are with Jesus' teachings on poverty and rich and wealth. Riches and wealth. Well, let's listen. I want to talk about responding to Jesus. Are you going to respond to this message? And I'm going to make three points, and I'm going to just go and ask you some questions that I want you to think about. I hope you're going to a life group this week, and in that life group, you'll, you'll be able to take some time to, to wrestle with these very hard questions, okay? So how do you respond to this teaching? First of all, we've got to start by being, answer, being honest. And let me ask you some questions. Do you look down on people who are poor? You seem the worst. And maybe on the other hand, do you look down on people that are rich? Do you struggle with jealousy toward people who have more than you? Do you struggle with greed, wanting more and more and never satisfy what you have? Has your spending habits gotten you in such a state of debt that you are actually unable to help people in need? And boy, this is a challenging question I don't want to have to answer. Is Jesus calling you to sell everything you have and give it to the poor? And if he did, would you be willing? Number two, we've got to be proactive. It's so easy, guys, for us to live hands off. It's easy if you live with wealth to divorce yourself from the poor. We live in a city of incredible economic inequality and diversity. And yet I know and you know that I can separate myself, not go in neighborhoods where there's extreme poverty, not go in parts of towns, a town where it might be more dangerous. I can, I can bubble my life in a certain part of this community 
where I don't err, and this was the rich man's problem, I don't even notice the poor, despite the fact that they're all around us. And that's what I love so much about many of you who have chosen to move into areas of this city because of its diversity. And I hope I don't embarrass these people, but Luke's uh, in-laws are here with their daughter Rachel today. And I love the Guyettes. And they've got an extremely successful roofing business. But what I love in talking to them and getting to know them is that they actually moved to a part of this city, out from East Montgomery to a part of this city where there was much more diversity because that was close to where their workers lived. And they wanted to be salt and light. you got to respect that. So let me ask you these questions. We tend to keep our distance from the poor. How can you place yourself in a position to build relationship with poor people? How can we put ourselves in those places where we encounter people? Who do you know from a different socioeconomic background or race that you are going to invite into your home? Because that was a command of Jesus. When you're throwing a big party, don't just invite your buddies and the people that look like you and act like you. Invite into your home people that are, invite the poor. He commands it. When's the last time you had somebody in your house that was really poor? And then I think this is a question we've all got to answer. God give us wisdom. How will you simplify your life by selling possessions so that you can give to people in need? The truth is, most of us in here, by definition, in the world we live in, are rich, and we have much too much, and we could spare a lot of stuff without ever being hurt. And are we willing to do that? So number three, if we're honest and we're proactive, it leads us to the good part, and that's to be generous. Listen to these questions. Who do you know right now who needs financial assistance that you could bless? What could you get active in in this, this church? We got, there's so many things going on in this church right now. Think of Michael Coleman, Hope Inspired Ministry. I, I think of what you're going to hear later about hurricane relief we're going to do. We have, we have connected ourselves with the school a block away. They've opened the doors wide open. And many of you are thinking, why Halcyon? This is a nice neighborhood. My friends, that school is not the school it was 15 years ago. The inner city has come to us. And most of those students live below the poverty line. And you've got some instructions there in your bulletin about what you and I can do to be a part of that. The coolest thing this week on Montgomery Public School homepage, Landmark Church of Christ, was highlighted because of what you guys are doing. Let me tell you about something really, really cool. This past Sunday night, our teenagers gathered with many of their parents and with other groups to do something called Pack Shack. And there's going to be about four pictures up here. You can see them gathering at the beginning. Then we went down to the gym floor. And on the gym floor, just keep on thumbing through those. You can see everybody there. It's just this deal where you put together meals. This past Sunday night, 34,000 meals were put together for the underprivileged. Amen. (laughs) 
And man, we're going to be able to use it with Halcyon. We're going to be able to use it for people we know. Montgomery Food Bank is absolutely blown away by how we're going to help them. Now, listen to me, guys. This is why you got to give. It cost us $8,000 to do that. Not much per meal if you multiply it out, but that's the money. And we got to be willing to give. So let me ask you some questions. Who do you know you want to bless? You know, one of the biblical hedges to keep us from materialism and greed is the Bible's challenge for you to give consistently to God's church. So how can you increase what you're giving in our weekly offering? Because it goes to do things like that. Let me ask you this. If you get out of your comfort zone and you go serve in an area that you don't normally go or a ministry that actually touches people face-to-face, can I ask you, you think at the end of that you will feel better or worse? You can feel better because you isolated and cocooned yourself in your home with your big screen TV and your fine food and didn't fool with it. Or if you got out of there and did something, I tell you, Jesus says it's more blessed to give than receive. In fact, look at another passage from Luke I don't want you to miss about giving. Luke chapter 6, verses 37 and 38. Give, and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It'll be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. My friends, I'm not saying you give $10 and God gives you 100 but I'm telling you, when you give, God is going to bless you beyond what you can give. So let me make one more point, then we'll sing. And this is what really has, has helped me with this, all these passages. Listen to this. Dr. Luke, who wrote all this, was rich. You recognize that? Tried to do some research. This, a doctor in the first century was well-educated and was wealthy. M- more than likely, he may have been the wealthiest man to write in the Bible. Maybe Matthew, the tax collector, had a lot left over from those things. But, but Luke was a wealthy man. It isn't that weird. It's the wealthy dude who tells more stories about Jesus' challenge toward the rich than anybody else. So why would that be? I think I understand a little bit as a preacher, you probably preach on things you need to hear. And, and I, my guess is Luke may have struggled with this, and Jesus' teaching on wealth stung him the most because he was. And he knew he needed it, and he knew we needed it. Now, the cool thing about Luke is we know that he continued to use his wealth for God. He became the right-hand man to the Apostle Paul, traveled with him. He was the supporter of the Apostle Paul. In fact, most historians believe when Paul is in prison and can't make any money in Rome, Luke moves to Rome and supports the Apostle Paul in his ministry and becomes Paul's personal physician. So Luke's one of those guys we're glad got rich. Listen closely. Dr. Luke was rich, but he worshiped and followed a homeless man. Isn't that crazy? Jesus, most nights, didn't even have a place to lay his head. And yet he was so amazing and so magnetic and his teaching was so true that this doctor says, you know what, I'll give it all 
to follow this homeless man. Why? Because it's this homeless man that gave up all the riches of heaven to rescue us. You see, listen to me, guys. Jesus wants to save you. And part of that is what we talked about today. We don't like talking about it. Part of it is he doesn't want you to go to hell. And some of you can go to hell if you don't change. And I'm telling you, he does want you to go to heaven. But he didn't just come to save us about heaven and hell. He came to save us from ourselves. He came to save you if you're rich and you're cocky and condescending. And he came to save you if you're poor and don't really think that God cares about you. And he came to bring us together in an organization where we are so compelled by the love of Christ that those things mean very little. And those folks that are blessed can help those not so blessed. And the folks not so blessed can remind everybody else that it doesn't last. So today, if you want to follow this homeless man, Jesus, today, if your priorities have gotten all mixed up, and when we ask these questions, you're really uncomfortable because right now, you've put way too much hope in your riches. See, the Bible doesn't say it's wrong to be rich. First Timothy chapter 6 says, Command those who are rich in this life to be rich in good deeds and to lay up for themselves treasures in heaven. If today, you need the prayers of this church. Or you want to follow this amazing homeless man. Come right now while we stand and sing.